they recommended a much more aggressive drug treatment plan. And to be honest, the, the drug treatment plan side effects sounded worse than the disease itself and didn't have a lot of hopeful outcomes because it had no effect on the long-term progression of the disease. So I was quite confident, although everyone else around me, my loved ones were quite scared of this decision, but I went off my conventional treatment and decided to look more aggressively at a holistic program, uh, utilized both um, public and private healthcare systems. And I got as many tests and um, developed a program for myself uh, as best as I could. And eight months later, I recovered and was able to um, skate in the trials for the 2010 Olympics. Crystal, how do you skate backwards? I don't know. <laughs> how figure how? skates. Okay, true. Figure skates are like the ones with the really like long, long blades at the bottom, right? I'm, I'm assuming that you can't really like, can't do the thing where you carve no, the figure skate. The figure skates are the ones with the, the toe picks. Oh. And they, oh. they do like backwards crossovers and, yeah. and spins and twirls and jumps. See, I've, I've, I've been trying to learn how to skate for like six years and all I can do is skate really fast in a straight line and crash into a wall and try to stop and then fall flat in my face. Um, but you're a little better at skating than I am, or at least you skated at a national level before, right? That's right. In speed skating. I, I did start as a figure skater, but I was much of a tomboy um, growing up and really liked to skate fast um, more than I liked to skate pretty. Ah, uh, so ice sports. I'm guessing that you're Canadian? Very much. Yeah. Many generations, Albertan. <laughs> Many generations, Albertan. Okay. So I guess you, you started in speed skating or sorry, uh, figure skating first, and then yeah. you went later on uh, into speed skating. I guess what drew you to speed skating first? I promise, dear listener, that this will eventually get to something that's relevant to health tech. But how do you get started in speed skating? Like, it's such an interesting story. And how do you get to be so good at it? Well, a couple things. I watched it on the Olympics. Again, I was a figure skater and a tomboy. didn't really love it. So when I saw speed skating on the Olympics, I was like, that's what I want to do. And that combined with what I call a bit of a genetic advantage. I had really large leg muscles. So I was just built for the sport of speed skating. Uh, uh, what, did, what did you like most about speed skating uh, when you watched the Olympics on TV? I liked the rhythm of the sport, and I also liked the speed, ultimately. The speed. Fair uh, enough. I do I'd, like to both I liked that you didn't have to wear, uh, you didn't have to put braids in your hair and makeup and wear pretty dresses. <laughs> That's fair enough. And correct me if I'm wrong, speed skating is the, the skating where you've got to skate like around in circles real fast. And there's quite a bit of strategy to it, isn't there? That's right. Short track, there's a lot of strategy. It's more like roller derby on ice. Yeah. And long track is more about uh, personal strategy, rhythm, pacing, um, competing against yourself in your own times. And what did you end up doing? Which one or both? I did, I, I did both. I did short track speed skating, and then I got sick, and the National Training Center for short track speed skating moved to Montreal. I was in Calgary, and so I decided to transfer to long track, uh, where the National Training Center is um, still in Calgary. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So you, you dropped a little, a little segue, I guess, into my next question would be, you got sick. 
Um, and if I if I read everything uh, online correctly, you got sick when you were training for the 2010 Olympics, correct? Or when you were hoping to train towards that? Exactly. I was in, it was 2005 and I moved to Calgary in 2003 and I was kind of on track for um, a great career in the sport of speed skating and kind of at the top of my skating career, went from one of the top skaters in Canada to not walking and was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis and had a very aggressive onset of the disease at a very unusually young age for how severe it was. Yeah. So I guess that, did that just come out of the blue? Was there a particular morning where like, for example, there are like sensory or motor symptoms that just started or was it more gradual and something that, you know, crept up on you? It was pretty sudden. I thought when I woke up in the middle of the night to go to the washroom and walking to the washroom, I thought I just had really beasted myself in the weight room the, the day before and my muscles were tired and therefore I couldn't walk very well. Um, turns out it was a lot more serious than that. And um, I was rushed to the hospital that evening. And then over the course of three days, I lost um, feeling from my chest to my toes. I lost bladder control and started to develop double vision. That's wild that like to go from speed skating at such a high level to within such a like short span of time, having such severe illness must've been terrifying. Yeah. It sucked. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I guess from that point, like how did, how did you recover? Like, how did you take the steps towards recovery towards, for example, doing what you loved most? Um, because healing from MS, I mean, there are medications that certainly help. Um, but the journey is never quick. Yeah, exactly. I was still a teenager at the time. And I say that because up until that point, I hadn't really dealt with a lot of adversity. So when they told me that I would never speed skate again, I genuinely didn't believe them because speed skating was all I knew. And so I took that naive approach to, okay, well, I have this weird, wacky new body. Um, I also have resources on the national team that I can utilize. And the only thing that is on my mind is how do I get back into speed skating? So it's almost like I didn't hear the doctors when they said, you have this degenerative neurological disease with no cure and you'll probably never speed skate again. So I slowly but surely relearned how to walk, relearned how to bike, had a lot of support um, to help me do that. And then eventually uh, I was able to skate again and raced my first competition about four months after I was able to walk again. How did that first race um, back to well, I, everyone in the skating community was excited and um, inspired to just see me back considering what I had gone through is uh, yeah. big news in the small sport of speed skating. And yeah. I remember crying my sleep, myself to sleep that night because my times were so slow compared to before I was sick. And I woke up the next morning and the entire left side of my body just stopped functioning. So that's when I really realized that, okay, I'm not this invincible teenager. I know it's so annoying and oh. I, I really took it maybe more seriously at that point. Like I understood that, okay, I'm, I'm not this invincible teenager. I have this serious disease and just like an athlete takes the mentality of it's not just a coach. It's not just a nutritionist. It's this holistic program in order to reach optimal performance in sport. 
I had that natural mentality because I was an athlete to take it to my, my health. So I took a daily drug injection as recommended by my neurologist, but I also looked at, well, how can I change my diet? Are there herbal medicine uh, opportunities that I could try? Acupuncture, chiro, physio, massage, um, uh, sports psychology, or, and, and various therapies. It all, it was all something that I was really open to and knew that I had to have a more holistic approach if I had a fighting chance to not only get back to healthy, but again, of course, my big goal was to get back into skating again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that certainly it can be really easy to anchor on, okay, let's, you know, take this medication and hope that, you know, this medication can 100% cure the symptoms, but seldom is it as black and white as that. And if I'm hearing you correctly, one of the biggest lessons that you also took out of your, I guess, you know, high performance athlete career was really to mm -hmm. consider all options, see how you can attack a problem uh, from many different angles uh, to get to the solution that you want. And I guess exactly. with that holistic approach, where, where did that lead you? And how long did it take you to recover to a point where you were able to rethink what kind of life you wanted to lead beyond speed skating? Yeah. So over the, the course of the, the following four years, I became a nutritionist, was taking a daily drug injection. I started studying herbal medicine and was essentially a guinea pig for all things, both conventional and unconventional healing. And through that journey, honestly, the more I got into some of the more holistic um, opportunities for my health, the fewer and further between my relapses became. And by 2009, I had gotten back to an elite level in sport and qualified for the trials for the 2010 Olympics. And I went into the pre-Olympic season of training and overnight I lost vision in my left eye, a fairly common symptom of MS, and got more tests done. And it showed on my MRI results that my disease was continuing to progress quite rapidly. It looked very serious. And I was told that um, I should be prepared for the, the potential to be developing progressive MS, which means that I could be in a wheelchair in, in, the, in the next few years and start organizing your life accordingly. Um, that's when I made the decision, you know, I was also told I would never speed skate again, and I'm here making the Olympic trials. And they recommended a much more aggressive drug treatment plan. And to be honest, the, the drug treatment plan side effects sounded worse than the disease itself. And didn't have a lot of hopeful outcomes because they had no effect on the long-term progression of the disease. So I was quite confident, although everyone else around me, my loved ones were quite scared of this decision, but I went off my conventional treatment and decided to look more aggressively at a holistic program, uh, utilized both um, public and private healthcare systems. And I got as many tests and um, developed a program for myself uh, as best as I could. And eight months later, I recovered and was able to um, skate in the trials for the 2010 Olympics. I had just missed the team, but um, the happy ending to that whole career is that the government of Alberta kind of knew about my story. I was that underdog, the person that was going to make the Olympics with MS, and I was going to be this great story. And when that didn't happen, there was this grant that um, I received where they sent me to the Olympics in Vancouver so I could at least participate, um, feel the, the experience of the Olympics and end my career on still a high and with my teammates and cheering them on. So it was 
really cool opportunity to have still gotten to an elite level in sport, despite being told I'd never speed skate again, despite being told that, you know, I was developing progressive MS and, and still have a, a, a cool experience with the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if I'm hearing that all together, you've kind of taken a holistic standpoint to how you manage your MS. You're able to regain function to the extent that you're able to perform um, to the level of Olympic trials and you ended up, you, you ended your career in speed skating, uh, with your teammates in Vancouver with the 2010 Olympics, I guess with yeah. that chapter of your life wrapped up, how did you feel at that standpoint and how did you decide what you wanted to do? Because I, if I'm, if I'm not incorrect, you're, you're not a full-time dietitian now. Um, so you must have <laughs> no. had taken a different path away from that, uh, starting in 2010, or at least maybe even before that. Yeah. In 2010, I decided to pursue what seemed like even a bigger dream of mine that had been developed over the course of the five years of me navigating healthcare systems and understanding that there are some gaps that could be filled. So I started the Branch Out Neurological Foundation, a charity that I became really passionate about um, building so that we could fill those gaps. And the biggest gap meaning are being that we needed more high quality, scientifically valid research for some of the less conventional approaches to healing neurological disorders, not just MS, but anything that has to do with the neuron. And that was very purposeful because I think when we have a disease like MS, where there are so many question marks as far as what the treatment options are and what the, even the cause is, I don't think we should just keep studying only MS. We should start looking at the system as a whole and what helps our and furthers our understanding in TBI or or um, Alzheimer's or Parkinson's or spinal cord injury could give us that missing piece to the big puzzle of the brain and the nervous system. So I really wanted to keep it broad. Um, at the neurological level. And so even gut brain connection and microbiome research would fit into that and build a charity that funded high quality research to the point where even though it's not conventional, it is undoubtedly some of the highest quality science in universities across the country. Mm -hmm. Why did uh, research at that point make sense for you to be the focus of the, the organization overall? I understand with a lot of the, a lot of the, I guess, treatments aside from the MS drugs, which had all those side effects, which were, would have been really difficult to tolerate. Certainly a lot of research mm -hmm. and clinical trials have been done on them, but was that lack of overwhelming evidence for alternative treatments, um, what drove you to focus on research as the mainstay behind branch out, or was it something else? Yeah, it's, it's a really good question. I started to talk to my neurologist and also collect, I had been collecting data essentially on myself for all of the different things I was doing that was promoting my own health. And I would go on Google, of course, and find out that, you know, I'm, I sound like I have this miracle case, but it turns out that I'm one anecdotal case of thousands and thousands of other people with MS and other neurological conditions who've looked at their, their treatment as more holistic and have been really proactive CEO of their own health kind of mentality and have had really great results. And so 
even in Alberta, I mean, we have some of the highest rates in the world. And when I go to my neurologist, they ask me five questions that, you know, are recorded on pen and paper. And um, here I am full of data that I think could be way more beneficial, especially if you started collecting it from the, you know, thousands of other people in this province alone in Alberta who have MS, considering the, some of the highest rates in the world are here. So we're so rich with data, but I don't think we're utilizing our technology to be able to actually move the needle and understanding where are the common denominators from all of these people who are showing a lot of success um, and, um, and then actually being able to be confident in the quality of research behind it so that a neurologist could actually prescribe some of this stuff that isn't just the, this drug, this drug, or this drug. Mm -hmm. I think another interesting aspect of Branch Out beyond the work that it does to explore beyond the conventional treatments that are already offered is the fact that, um, I'm not sure if this is still the mission, but to focus on tech and non-pharmacological non -like treatments. So is there a reason why there's that specific tilt? Um, I understand that again, like the, the medications that you, that you prescribed had this litany of side effects, and maybe that could be why there's a tilt there, but you know, I don't want to read too much into your answer before you answer. <laughs> no, I'm glad you asked that question because it gives me an opportunity to say that I am not anti-pharma. I am so grateful for the medical advancements that there are. Um, I think everyone I know can think of a situation that it's either saved their life or, you know, a loved one's life. So I'm a very big promoter of the medical system. However, I do think there's still a gap and there isn't a sustainable funding mechanism like there is for pharma at the research level for some of the less conventional approaches, some of the non-pharma solutions. And, and then I also think there's a, a missing opportunity in utilizing the technology that exists. I now work in a high tech field and I go to a conference and you learn about all of the cool tech innovation and I'm so excited and it seems like all disease is going to be cured. And then I go back to my neurologist and it's honestly feels like I stepped backwards a hundred years and there's a huge, you realize there's a huge gap in, we say it's, it's not about the innovation of things, but the innovation of ways. How do we actually have all of this technology that already exists in the world? and actually integrate it into the system so that people can really benefit from it. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, please download and rate our episodes on whatever platform you listen on. Also, if you have any feedback on what you just heard, we'd love to hear it wherever you listen to or on our website, howitsmed.com. That way we can create better content that suits you. Till next time. Bye-bye. <laughs>